Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Um, my guest today is uh, part of the Hamlet Group. They're at Lund University in Sweden. Uh, they're part of uh, Hamlet Pharma AB, pharmaceutical company with strong links to research, uh, working with natural and biological substances. Again, they've developed the treatment they call Hamlet, which is formed by natural and harmless molecules from breast milk that break down and dissolve tumors. Uh, sounds incredibly interesting. I'm speaking to Katarina Sundberg. Uh, she's a professor of physical immunology at Lund University in Sweden and part of the effort. So, Katarina, thank you for coming. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, good. Uh, tell me a little bit about your history. How did you get involved with this? And uh, then we'll talk about the treatment itself. Thank you. My group has been involved with research and discovery-directed uh, research for, for actually this project arose from a completely serendipitous observation. We were, we were investigating natural substances that potential antibiotics, such as kill bacteria that treat infections. And then we have calcium cells in our test tube. When we added a certain fraction from human milk, the calcium cells died. So we repeated the experiment the next day. And again, the cancer cells died, and, and so we slowly realized that, oh, we must have a new discovery here that is worth pursuing. And since this, since this time, we have been uh, we've been working on what turned out to be the Hamlet molecule, exploring its, its properties, how it kills cancer cells, and how we can use this to treat to treat cancer. Wait, so what, what was the experimental setup like? You had bacteria, and what did you add to them? What were you trying to study? We, we had bacteria. It was trying to study pneumonia, actually, you know, how bacteria cause pneumonia. So we had bacteria and, and then cells from the lung, and these were lung cancer cells because they were easy to work with. 
and the, the experiment was designed to look at how how the uh, the body different things from the body different fluids get rid of bacteria and then uh, the cancer cells died so that was quite exciting but how did you uh, is it literally breast milk that was used or how did you how did these two substances come together yes so i know where your question is coming from because the, the substance that kills cancer cells that we found in milk has two components. It's a protein called alpha-lactalbumin and a fatty acid called oleic acid. But originally, of course, we didn't know that. So we had divided up the milk. We were using milk and blood and tears and, you know, different fluids to find the antibacterial, we thought. And so we had divided up the milk into parts with different types of molecules. You can have fat molecules or proteins or antibodies and so on, different fractions. And, and this, this one fraction that kills tumor cells um, is actually called the casein fraction. It's like when you make cheese, you know, you add acid and you get this, this cheesy material that you then work with. And that was the starting material. So... We added that and it killed the tumor cells. And then there was a, a long effort with, you know, biochemistry and we can find out exactly what the molecule inside that fraction was. And that's how we found Hamlet. What, why is it uh, called Hamlet? Where did the acronym come from? The acronym is, that's, that's a bit of a story, you know, in its own right. We are, Lund is located very close to Denmark and close to Elsinore. So Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, and, and Shakespeare, and so on, would be sort of close to what we might think about looking for an acronym. And actually, one of the biochemists, the group was was playing around with with the words of the molecules. So the protein is called alpha-lactalbumin, so that's the A, and human is the H, and then made lethal to tumor cells, which is what we had done by adding the fatty acid. So it ended up being being Hamlet. That was her invention. Got it. Okay. So so this was an in vitro experiment in a dish with bacteria that yeah. uh, you used. Okay. And the, the breast milk component worked. Did you try just raw breast milk or did you fractionate it or treat it somehow? We, we fractionated it. So if you just take the raw breast milk, it doesn't kill cancer cells very effectively. It, it needs a treatment that we did, which is low pH, like what you have in your, in your stomach, in your gastric environment. You know, the, the gastric juice is acid, acidic. And so we had happened to treat the milk with, uh, with an acid to fractionate. That's when this protein, the milk protein, changes its structure in response to the acidic pH. And also the, the, the fatty acid, which normally is bound in the milk, there's something called milk triglycerides and lipids, that, but with low pH, the lipid is released. So the complex was made low pH. So... In nature, when a baby feeds from its mother, once the breast milk hits the baby's stomach acid, does it go through a similar process, you think? And exactly. have a similar That's what we think. That's what we think is happening. But this is also why we decided to actually make the complex as such, rather than rely on, on the milk, which is a more complicated source, obviously, and, and you would rely on the patient or the baby having enough acidity in the stomach and so on. So once we realized what the complex was and what the components were, we could then make it from the purified components. So the protein alone and the fatty acid alone. And this is this is really when we could also study its properties and also investigate the, the treatment effects of the complex. Yeah, it seems like a very serendipitous discovery. Um, how would this 
be used in uh, in a clinic to help people? Um, one of the early findings was Hamlet killed many types of tubercles. We we asked when we found this effect, we asked around in the in, you know in our institute for different types of cancer cells that people were working with, and we were quite surprised that most of them were actually sensitive to this effect. And we were also surprised that the tumor cells were dying by what is called apoptosis. They die in a nice, non-toxic way, which makes this substance quite different from, you know, many cancer-killing compounds that are that are quite toxic, not just for the cancer, but also for, for healthy tissue, healthy, healthy cells. So when we think about how to use it in the clinic, we think in the longer term that it, it would be a very interesting type of new cancer treatment compound, which would combine the ability to, to kill many different tumor cells with low toxicity, hopefully. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. When, when you develop drugs, it's key to really focus on one or two key indications so that you really get all the way to the clinic. And then, you know, it's easier to generalize the findings. And in our case, the indication we chose was, was bladder cancer, urinary bladder cancer. We had some experience with in the group, and it, it was uh, technically easy to target bladder cancer because you put a catheter into the bladder of the patient and inject the substance. This is done with all the current treatments, and so we could just add Hamlet, essentially, initially to, to, to that and see what happened. So that was straightforward and, and all the permissions were obtained so on. We did see in the early early study, early clinical study, that patients were responding very quickly, that they were shedding lots of tumor cells into the urine very rapidly, as if the tumor was releasing part of itself, you know, into into the urine when the patient was treated. And so the next step, which is a lot of work, is, is to, of course, take this into real drug development. And what we did then, a peptide, synthetic peptide and the fatty acid, so that we could make this compound with similar activity on an industrial scale. With all the all the rules, you know, it's called GMP, all, the, all these rules for how you make the substances that you are then given permission to use in the clinic. And so the, the recent paper in, in Nature, the commission that I think was with your key to interviewing us. That paper describes this journey from from the molecule, finding the synthetic molecule and characterizing all all the way through placebo controlled randomized trials to show that the substance really has effects in the clinic. Yeah, good. You did a trial in humans then. So what was the cohort like and what were the results like? So the target population is patients who are diagnosed with urinary bladder cancer, which is not yet invasive, which grows 
locally in the bladder. It's very common. It's one of the around the fifth most common cancer, and um, there is a great unmet medical need for new therapies. So, so it's really a relevant area. So the population was selected by the surgeons uh, in, in the clinic that performed the study according to you know the study criteria for non-invasive bladder cancer. That's the term this patient group. And there were stringent criteria for for inclusion and don't have to be. Then the patients were given the substance via catheter on six occasions during one month and then subjected to surgery, which was the original plan. We didn't change the treatment plan in any way, of course. We added the six injections into the bladder prior to surgery. And so in this way, we could compare several things. We could compare the urine samples in the patient before and after instilling the substance, which gave us some very, very interesting data. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Compare the tumor at onset the diagnosis to the tumor at the time of surgery, one month later, to see if there were any visible changes. And we could also take out tumor tissue and do molecular analysis of tumor markers and also, you know, all the RNA in the tumor, see, see what had happened, see what had changed. And, um, so you, uh, you saw a lot of shedding into the into the urine, yeah, it sounds like. But what, yeah. what about the tumors themselves? Did they did they reduce their size, or what did you observe? Yes, that was a significant reduction in size. And when we look for when we do sections of the tumor, we can see this nice cell death, this apoptotic cell death in the tumor. And with RNA analysis, a huge reduction in cancer genes was seen. So they were they were quite quite important endpoints. Did anyone lose their tumor completely, or you know, sh- should the treatment be continued longer next yeah. time to try to completely no. get rid of the cancer? So what usually happens in drug development is that you do this initial study, which also importantly is a safety study, and we had no no significant side effect in, in registered. So what you normally do as a next step is to then increase the dose. But once you see the, the initial effect and also a lack of toxicity, you can ethically increase the dose of the drug. That is what we are doing now to address exactly the question that you're, you're asking now. You know, how far is the effect of the tumor? How far does it? You said there was another effect that you hadn't yet described. What else did you notice? That was the, the question of the side effects. So in, in a study like this, actually the primary endpoint is to study side effects of, of a new of a new substance and, and really to understand if it's toxic or not. And first of all you do a lot of animal experiments in mice and rabbits in, in our case there there is there are special organizations that do these types of toxicity studies, special companies that do it completely without any bias or attachment to the project. We had done that and no, no toxicity in these, in these models. And, and so then we also did look at all the parameters, the toxicity parameters in the patients. And interestingly, there were no drug-related side effects, which is, which is quite, I think, remarkable in a sense. So, so that encourages us now to, to go on with higher doses and to explore how to develop this, this drug further. What do you think will happen if you continue the treatment? Do you think it'll completely get rid of the bladder tumors? Or what do you think will happen? This is, it's 
hard for me, you know. I'm, I'm a scientist, doctor. <laughs> if there are dreams and there are realities. So it would obviously be uh, quite fantastic if, if we could show that tumors disappear and, or that the tumors get smaller so that the, the amount of surgery would be reduced. Bladder cancer is the most expensive form of cancer in the U.S. Does the patients have to be treated so many times and undergo so many surgical procedures? And so if you could get rid of some tumors and or reduce the tumor growth and, and invasiveness and so on so that you can also reduce the, the number of procedures needed, all of these things would be, be very important. Also, there is the question about recurrences. If, if you can find evidence that the tumors come back less often in the patient after surgery when you have pre-treated the patient with, with this, this drug. And that would also be a huge, a huge success. These are the kinds of questions that we are trying, trying to address as quickly as possible. What about the original mechanism? Is anyone studying why the breast milk you know, activates in the stomach of a, of, a, of a young baby and what roles it would have in a person naturally? This is a fascinating subject. And you know, alpha-lactalbumin, this molecule in human milk, is related to a molecule called lysozyme, which is one of the oldest antibacterial molecules. In, even in you know, single-cell organisms, uh, you, you find these molecules. So the evolutionary value of these types of molecules is probably huge. We have done some or experiments looking at early cell division and effects of, of this, the Hamlet complex on very, very early stages in multicellular uh, development. So, so I think there are dimensions of these findings that are sort of beyond the, the immediate effects in the baby. What we are thinking, we haven't proven this, but what we are thinking in the baby is that there will always be in the gastrointestinal tract cells that don't go towards maturity, but that de-differentiate, you know, that go the wrong way. There will also be virus-infected cells that look a bit like tumor cells, you know, because their genome is, is, is perturbed by the virus. And so ingesting milk could be a way for to drive the baby's uh, development towards maturity in the tissues and also a way to purge virus-infected cells. But this is something we need to study and prove. So what's the path from here? Uh, do you need another clinical trial now to show efficacy now that you've done safety or what's next? Yes. I mean, our goal is to reach a phase three trial and we are, we are performing, we're continuing the current study with different permutations to, to answer questions that we think are important for the dialogue with the, with the FDA, et cetera, to, to be allowed to do a, a phase three trial. That, that would be our our goal. And with that kind of, of data, I think the development, we can also hopefully find partners for the drug, the final step, the drug development to, to get into the patients as soon as possible. We're thinking that something, a substance with low toxicity and efficacy against tumor cells would be almost like, I don't know, an aspirin, not, not an aspirin, but you know what I mean. It would be easier to, to prescribe that kind of substance the patients who need it, maybe, than some of the most toxic drugs where one has to be really cautious about all the side effects. Can you make the necessary substances, you know, chemically in a lab, or do you need to start with breast milk and then alter it? No, we are, we are now 
beyond the, the breastfeeding phase. And so the, 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 the drug substance is made in a, in a factory that specializes in synthetic peptides. And also the, the mixture with the oleic acid, the complex, is also made in a very high-profile factory. You know, these are, these are drug production factories that have a lot of experience with production of different compounds. And we are ob- obligated to do that. That's partly why we have been sourcing uh, commercial funding, because we are obligated by the authorities to do that. Otherwise, we cannot do clinical trials. Oh, what do you need to do? You need to get a certain amount of funding from where? Yes. Now, we have received, obviously, we've received a lot of public funding in Sweden. We have, like the National Cancer Institute and the NIH type of funding that we've had for many years. But in addition, for the actual drug development, we have found people who are willing to to invest in, in the project and help us with the, the commercial side, which is, is, for example, the drug production, which is quite quite costly. Nothing the university is doing itself, you know. This, this is this real, real drug development. So what's the timetable from here? How long do you think it's going to take until this can actually be used in a clinical setting? We think quite efficient so far. We received first funding for the drug development in 2016, and we are already, you know, we have gone through all the steps, and we now have clinical data and ongoing trials. So I'm very, I'm very hopeful. I can't give you number, but we are working quite efficiently on board. So I hope it's going to be very fast. Are there other cancers that this may work for, or can you only do the one, the one bladder cancer, and then would someone and need to start again from scratch to do others? And I mean, this is this is a frustration for us that the amount of effort and research that we have spent on something like this makes it reasonable to start to prove the concept. In, in one cancer, as I've said before, but in laboratory studies and also in our animal models, we have excellent results with a colon cancer where we can treat by putting Hamlet in the drinking water uh, or by putting it into the stomach of the animal where we can have excellent uh, protective effects of, of Hamlet treatment. Uh, so colon cancer is also an option. We have done some work in, uh, in a brain tumor model that's farther from, from the clinic, obviously, but we are continuing an interest there. And I'm thinking that there, there are a number of, of cancer indications that we could expand to once we've you know, proven the point with bladder cancer. What would that look like? Would you inject into the tumor this substance, or how do you think it would work, or just into the bloodstream? That's, that's also a key question, because as the substance is now, it is not stable in the bloodstream. So we have used it on the skin, locally in the brain, the gastrointestinal tract, the bladder, but, but we haven't treated uh, tumors systemically or tried to treat metastatic tumors so far. So this is one of the, the upcoming projects and challenges to make a variant of the molecule uh, that has the oleic acid so strongly bound to it that it will be stable also in the circulation. But when the treatment is to be used on other cancers, would it take the form of an injection? Or how do you guess it might work the best? I think what we know now is, is that if you distribute it into the bladder or into the intestine, you know, the large intestine, for example, or we have some data on the skin as well, it, it will work locally. And one of the 
interesting points about this substance that we don't fully understand is that it is actually taken up very efficiently by tumors. So if you look at cells in patients' urine that come out, they will actually contain the drug. I mean, you can see you can see the drug inside those cells if you stain them and look in the microscope. So there is, as I say, there is something about this drug that makes it able to enter the tumor. We need to do more exactly how extensive is, is it, it is um, and how big a tumor. Is it is it a, a sugar? Is this like an oligosaccharide so, or is it uh, just a protein? Like why would the cells take it up? It's just a protein. So if you think of, you take the whole milk protein and you divide it up and take a third of it, the start, the first third of it, and, and you make that synthetically in a factory. That's what the drug is based on because that part is killing tumor cells. With the, with the no, I know, but, but in, in breast milk though, what, what function does this molecule serve yes. before it's changed yes. by the stomach acid. Now I understand why you thought of sugar. So alpha-alcalbumin normal known role, classical role, is to help make lactose in milk. The milk sugar, lactose. We don't people can be lactose intolerant. Uh, so that, that's the kind of lactose. And so the, the unexpected finding in our case is that if you change structure of the same molecule, it suddenly becomes a tumor killer as well. But naturally, so if a baby is breastfeeding, naturally, again, the breast milk will go into the stomach. The stomach acid will yes. modify the, the breast milk. But it, again, does it start out as a sugar that the baby's stomach modifies, you know, using the acid? Like, what role do you think it has in a baby, you know, naturally? I, I mean, the, the, the protein itself is helping the milk contains sugar, but for the, the, the tumor effect, the anti-tumor effect, the sugar is, is not there, so to say. As far as we know, it doesn't play any any part. So for the baby, if the acidic environment um, makes the complex in, in the stomach, which we, we we are not fully fully sure about, but it, 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 it's likely to happen, then this this active complex can be propagated through the intestinal tract and we believe remove unwanted cells you know that develop in the baby and that should be purged so this is a we believe that has a protective effect okay yeah i figured you might get clues by looking at the natural mechanisms of action you know in in babies and that would help figure out why it goes into these cells and why it kills tumors yeah i'm sorry i was being a bit slow there thing is when you say mechanism, I think about cells, molecules, you know, I think about how does it find the tumor cell, how does it get into the tumor cell, and so on. And there, there's a lot of new data in, in that area. But you're right. For the baby, maybe the short answer would be to help the baby to just evolve towards maturity fast as possible. And I mean, the intestine is the key to everything, isn't it? Or to, to get the right amount of food uptake and to avoid severe infections and to, to avoid having cells growing that later could give you cancer. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Katarina, what's the best way for people to keep tabs on what you're doing and to follow the progress? Where can they go? Uh, there is a, a website at Lund University, and there is also a website at Hamlet Pharma, the company that is supporting us uh, to, you know, 
with the drug development funding. So Hamlet Pharma has an updated website. There is also a movie, an English uh, small documentary movie that summarizes uh, part of this part of this process. That might be useful. Oh, and what's the movie called? Is it Hamlet or something else? Yes, it's called uh, The Story of Hamlet, I think. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Katerina, very interesting and serendipitous find. You know, thank you for coming on the podcast, and I really hope that this treatment uh, gets out there to help people. Thank you so much, and thank you for your insightful questions. It was really a wonderful discussion. Thank you so much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.